are listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. We're joined today by Bruce Plassman, CEO and co-founder of AIS. Bruce, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast. You're very welcome, and uh, thanks for having me. So, Bruce, tell us a little bit about AIS. AIS stands for Affordable Interior Systems. We're in uh, Leominster, Massachusetts, in a 600,000-square-foot in uh, facility that has about 800 manufacturer employees, and we manufacture office furniture. So anything that you would uh, need for a corporate office, whether that be traditional panel systems, laminate case goods, technology that's embedded into our furniture, uh, seating products, they're all made in our 600,000-square-foot facility in Leominster. Now, Bruce, one of the things that I think fascinates me most about the AIS stories, you know, this was a company that you started locally. And since the inception of AIS, you have been so adamant about keeping production local. Why was that commitment so important to you to keep that production here in Massachusetts? And has it always been an easy decision, or has that been one you've had to, to fight with over the years? I'll start with the second part of that. It's always been an easy decision, and I think it really goes back to, you know, my roots. And, and I'm uh, 64 years old. I have a 40-year professional career, and 100% of that has been in uh, Massachusetts. It's, uh, you know, I grew up in Sharon, Mass. I went to school at Babson, and my, as I said, my professional career has been in Massachusetts in its entirety. And uh, so I love it here, and I want to see it, see it succeed. And over the years, there have been many times that our economy has been great, other times that it's really struggled. And one of the things that's always pulled us out of a struggling economy was building the infrastructure around us. And we all know that if we support local entities, whether that's where we shop for groceries and uh, different services, all the way to the corporate level, we all know that that generates new tax revenues, which just gets reinvested into the community. But at the same time, it strengthens different corporate entities. And there are studies out there uh, that are done on a national basis, uh, economic impact studies, that show for every dollar that is spent with a Massachusetts manufacturing company, over $3 comes out uh, to the local economy. And that's because the subs that we use, the suppliers, the services, they all need to hire more employees. They all now pay uh, more in local taxes and state taxes. And that just trickles down to every uh, aspect of the economy. So I really believe we've always had a great economy. Before COVID, it was the strongest in the country. And we need to get it back there. And we'll get it back if we all help each other and support each other every way that we can. And while we talk about that economy, we keep seeing news about shortages on imported products and, and other items. Meanwhile, uh, you recently told members at a Chamber After Hours event that AIS had had some of its best months in its history recently. Is that due to the fact that you keep production local and in-house? Well, it's, it's, I'm proud to say we are having uh, phenomenal success through this. I know a lot of companies have had hard times, and I, and I, I really feel for those companies mm-hmm. and the individuals that are affected. But at the same time, uh, a lot of it has to do with that my materials department uh, does source locally, and some of the com- uh, local companies have been able to uh, really circumvent some of the supply chain issues that have been going on around the world. But I'm not going to say that we haven't been impacted. We have. We have raised lead times. But one of the things we did is I gave the okay uh, to increase inventories over twofold about 12 months ago when we saw this coming. And that's really helped us through this, to be able to navigate, still be able to provide corporate America with the solutions they need and not tell them we can't meet their lead times for, you know, six to 12 months. We're still, you know, I've, I've extended them, but by one or two weeks as opposed to other of our competitors that have gone out months and months and months. 
in your facility um, in Leominster is quite impressive. When you talk about increasing that inventory, does that change the way that you have to do operations to manage that new inventory? It, it does a little bit, but you know, with that, we, we all hear about how important it is to in-source, and, and we've been doing a lot of that as well. We've looked at everything that we do get from overseas, and we don't get any finished product from there. We always do the value-add in Leominster, mm-hmm. Mass., but we've taken it upon ourselves to, we're on a 24-month uh, plan to take a majority of what we source overseas and, and bring that back. And we've been very successful uh, so far in, in doing that. And certainly that means we can control our own destiny a lot more effectively. When you talk about controlling your own destiny, um, I was talking with one of your colleagues over at AIS, and one of the things they said was you really want input from those who are on the production floor, and if they've got great ideas that you can implement, uh, you do so. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's worked out for you in the past? Well, we're a Shingo recipient, which uh, really embraces companies that understand lean manufacturing, and one of the whole uh, basis around that is what's called Kaizans, and what that simply means is really empowering the people on the floor. Who knows better how to be more efficient and a better way of, uh, you know, manufacturing a product uh, than the people that are doing it eight hours a day, you know, every five days a week. And so we listen and we actually have meetings every single day at the supervisory level with the team members and, and seeing how they can impact the efficiency. And we do listen and we do implement and we reward the people that come up with the ideas, but at the same time the company benefits greatly. And, and a lot of times the environment benefits because, you know, one of the things that, has come out of this last couple of years is different ways to recycle product and actually use it in different new products that we've uh, developed over this time. And while we talk about your products, um, with the shift to working from home uh, for a lot of individuals and a lot of companies, are you seeing an increase in demand for now home office pieces for folks who are looking to set up their own home offices? Well, there is certainly a, a shift, and in, in if it's not a 100% shift to working from home, it's the hybrid model. And mm-hmm. we traditionally do not get involved in home office furniture because it's more of the onesie, twosie type of situation and, and we're set up to do uh, more mass production or, or larger uh, opportunities. But we have been involved with different uh, Fortune 500 companies in which they give uh, their employees that are on a hybrid model kind of a stipend to set up a home office so that when they are working at home, at least they're, you know, it's consistent and they're, you know, they're efficient. And so those those are opportunities that we've participated in. We did one with a large electrical company in which they gave over 4,000 employees $750 to set up their home office, and that was all done through us. Uh, so, again, we, we pay attention to it. We want to do it in a more significant way than, you know, the one-offs that, you know, we typically see. When you look at the post-pandemic climate, and as you, as you kind of work on different production lines and ideas for the future, how do you think the layout of the office will change as people do return to the office place? Well, <clears throat> what we saw was, you know, many years ago, let's say 10, 15 years ago, the, the trend was almost 100% panel systems. Let's call them cubicle farms. Uh, that was the trend, whether you were a Fortune 100 company all the way up to a small startup. And then we saw over the last few years up until COVID, uh, completely collaborative furniture, and, and there were some pros and cons to that, but, you know, height adjustability, ergonomic concerns within the workspace, but just rows and rows of, uh, of desks where people had no privacy between them, and that certainly uh, promoted collaborative thinking in environments, but at the same time, there was no privacy, acoustics were terrible, and a lot of people were pushing back on that, so we were starting to think, see things change. Then when COVID hit, and you walked into a facility that had no barriers between people, no privacy, that certainly uh, 
change the way people are thinking. And so now we're starting to see panel systems come back into the environment, but not 66 inches high or 80 inches high like we used to see, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But they may be 40 inches high. They may have a 12-inch glass stacker on them. So we create some privacy between individuals, which help create uh, safer work environments from a health standpoint. At the same time, it doesn't close people in so that we can still share and collaborate with our uh, coworkers. And, you know, everybody benefits the individual because they feel more comfortable coming to work because they feel it's safe. But at the same time, the corporation uh, is able to de develop and mentor new employees, train them more effectively, and have them understand what their identity is and what their corporate culture is, things you can't do when you're working 100% from home. So let's talk about um, your workforce. Has AIS's workforce been experiencing shortage as well, uh, much like a lot of businesses across all industries are talking about right now? Yes, unfortunately. Uh, we have uh, right now 40 openings uh, within our factory, and uh, it's, it's tough. And I thought, to be honest with you, I thought when the $300 uh, your surplus or additional monies that were available to people ended right around Labor Day. Uh, I thought that people would be, you know, knocking down our door to come back to work. And not only has it happened in AIS, it's not really happening anywhere across the country. So it's uh, it's presenting a problem. And how is AIS adapting um, to to address that problem? What are some initiatives that you're working on to try and fill uh, those open positions? Well, some of the basic things, we have uh, raised wa uh, wages across the lines. We've got uh, incentives to come on. We've got, you know, find the speeds of our existing employees, uh, you know, find somebody. But at the same time, from the standpoint of traditional manufacturing, we do pay higher than all our competition in the area. Uh, we have great benefits. We have 401K plans. We have health plans, dental plans, disability, life insurance. So we create what we feel is a really good work environment. And, mm -hmm. and the word is spreading, and uh, it's a great place to work and, and develop a career within manufacturing. So we're doing better than our competition, let's say, but at the same time, you know, it, I wish it was a little easier finding people. And we are working with the uh, local governments to uh, maybe get involved in some of the, uh, you know, Afghan refugees that are being relocated to Massachusetts uh, that, you know, that came out of Afghanistan and some of the other creative initiatives. We're working with Aspire and Seven Hills, uh, mm -hmm. work some of the adults that, you know, want to learn a, a skill set and come into and become independent live, uh, on their own as they become adults uh, with some of the disabilities that they have. And when you talk about bringing some of the folks in that have disabilities, one of the things I've noticed um, is that AIS really does a lot in terms of diversity initiatives and, and really trying to really get the best out of everybody. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the other diversity initiatives um, and accomplishments at AIS? Well, it's funny because, you know, certainly in the last 18 months, everybody, whether you're an ent a corporate entity or whether you're an individual, uh, somebody that has a family, somebody that doesn't, all we hear about is diversity and inclusion. And, and we were practicing that well before it was the end thing to do. And you, I'm proud to say that today, if you take a tour in our factory, you'll see a wall of flags and what those flags represent the employees of AIS in, in the different countries that they come from, and that is that counts up to 40 now. So our employees represent 40 different countries and nationalities around the world, which is pretty diverse. At the same time, uh, as you tour our factory floor, uh, we have over 300 women working on that factory floor out of the out of the close to 700. And what that means is, you know, whether it's an entry-level position all the way up to senior manufacturing executives, uh, 
women represented in a very strong uh, way within our organization, and that's been going on well before COVID uh, came upon came upon us. And then again, you know, working with different agencies uh, to try to be, do the right thing for you know the community and try to do the right thing for people that have struggled, and it benefits us as well. So it's really a win-win-win, and you know, what what doesn't make sense when everybody wins. AIS has such a strong record of being philanthropic, and one um, initiative that you had during the pandemic that really got a lot of attention was your Rosie the Riveter mask project. Can you tell us about this mask project and its impact on the region? Yeah, it was something that we're pretty proud of here at, uh, at AIS. I'll tell you how it all got started. So when March of last year, when uh, the governor shut the state down, unless you were a central uh, entity, we thought we were closed because we off, we manufacture office furniture and how important that is that in the scheme of things. And, you know, one of my executives reminded me that we were providing furniture for Brigham and Women's and, and Mass General and some triage centers that were servicing COVID patients. So I went before the governor's council on the, on, on the second day, and within one hour, he deemed us essential. And basically his reasoning behind that was if we didn't deliver the furniture, we were uh, – those facilities would not be open and not be able to serve and take care of sick patients with COVID. So that was great. We, we've stayed open since day one. We've kept people employed. We've kept people safe. It was a priority. But at the same time, we wanted to get back, and we started sewing. We manufactured about 500 chairs a day in five different assembly lines. We closed one of those down immediately and started manufacturing high-quality uh, face masks, first for our own employees and for the uh, fire and uh, police and, and, and people need within Lemonster, and word got around that these were high-quality masks. They just weren't paper. They were fabric. They were adjustable. They had antimicrobial treatment on them, and somebody came to me, and I, it was somebody on the floor, so it's a good example of us listening, and said to me, Bruce, do you remember ever studying something called Rosie the Riveter in World War II? And I kind of did, but they explained it to me, and basically what happened in World War II, all the men went to war, all the women uh, backfilled the factories, kept the war effort going, and kept the economy going, and really were successful in, in helping uh, us win the war. And that person, Rosie, became Rosie the Riveter for that uh, initiative, and Rosie is a real person. And so I said, what does that have to do with masks? And basically what they said is, could we get an army of Rosies sewing masks and, and, and us supplying all the raw materials and then distributing them across the country uh, in foremost in New England to people that were really in need, agencies were in need, and, and, and really help keep people safe. And uh, I, I pitched it to a couple of uh, TV stations in Boston and all four networks, uh, major networks, CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox, picked it up. They all came out here and interviewed me, and the word got out. And by the end of it, we stopped it about four or five months ago. We were up to 1,000 Rosies, and a Rosie was a person that had a sewing machine. It was in their house. We would send them raw materials. They would sell masks. They'd send them back, and we would distribute them out into the community to people in need. And when we were done, not only did we have a 1,000 rosies, but we had over 650,000 masks that were sewn by these volunteers and distributed to people in need. So it was uh, something that came out of our factory with one individual and, and grew to something pretty big and pretty important. And, and Bruce, for you to... You know, have started AIS as a dream of yours and to see where it's grown to and see that it's been able to do things like this project and like other charitable initiatives. Did you ever envision that you'd be able to start a company that would allow you to give back the way that you have throughout the years? 
I'm going to be honest and say no. <laughs> okay. And what I what I mean by this, we just started. It was two it was two guys, myself and Arthur Maxwell in uh, downtown Boston, 32 years ago. And you know, we thought we would be somewhat successful, but at that time we were measuring success by could we pay the bills and you know maybe we'd grow to 10 employees. And you know, as we grew and became more successful, one of the things we always wanted to do is remember our roots and know that there were so many people out there that were struggling and so many families that. You know, how could we give back and how could we help? And we've never lost focus on that. And as we become bigger and, and more successful, those uh, efforts are larger. And whether that means a bigger check to a charity or more, invo- more involvement by our employees, because a lot of our employees want to get involved locally as well. And today I sit on the board of directors of Make-A-Wish as well as the United Way uh, in North Central uh, Mass. And we try to give back to every activity it goes on in the limits to Fitchburg, Central Mass area, uh, whether it's sponsoring a basketball team, baseball team, homeless shelters, food food banks, things like that. We we are very involved, and it's something we're proud of, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue that. And in fact, you actually recently were given the top charitable contributor designation from the Boston Business Journal. Can you tell us about that designation and what that means uh, to you and to AIS? So every year they recognize uh, the top 100 charitable companies in the entire state of Massachusetts, not just Central Mass. And we've been recognized three years in a row. And, you know, it's kind of cool to win something, but at the same time, all that really means to my team is that we're being recognized for doing what we set out to do, which was help the community in any way that we can. And the fact that it's being noticed and recognized means we're doing the right things and we're going to continue to do those. And, again, as I said, we do have a whole team here called the Boost Team. And, uh, you know, their entire job is to, how can we get more involved? Uh, how can we make a difference in the, in the local community? And, Bruce, uh, we talk a lot about manufacturers here at the Chamber. I know our One North Central plan talks about manufacturing. It's history's legacy in North Central Massachusetts. For potential entrepreneurs out there that are thinking about opening a business here in North Central Massachusetts but are you know, unsure of whether they can make it work locally, what would you say to them? Well, I think North Central and Central Mass are great areas to, to open a business, especially manufacturing. I mean, a lot of times all people think about is that the state is known for high-tech and biotech, and we're certainly leaders within not only the United States, but the entire world in that area. But manufacturing is strong, and it's growing. And I think that this region has a workforce uh, that wants to get involved in manufacturing. A lot of the schools, whether it's Pittsburgh State, some of the high schools, some of the trade schools, offer all kinds of programs where they're training people on advanced manufacturing and trying to educate people that, you know, college is really important, but if you want to pursue something in the trades, it's not a sweatshop like the 50s, like maybe grandpa was in or even even your father. It's a great place to learn a career, make a living, and, and support your family and, and, edu- and make sure your kids are healthy and get educated. And uh, Central Mass over pretty much any other area, if not every area in Massachusetts, is the place to do it. Uh, you also have access to, you know, some great health care facilities. Uh, schools are schools are strong in this area. And real estate's a lot less than, as we all know, as you move close to Boston, 
uh, it gets pretty expensive pretty quickly. And out here, too, is, you know, we've got traffic jams, but we don't have what you have when you're trying to go into Boston or Worcester. So it is a great place to start a company and get employees and be able to function uh, very efficiently as an, as an entity. The start of the conversation, we're talking about the importance of keeping production local. As we look at some of these shipping challenges and other challenges that the nation is facing right now, you think this will be kind of a wake-up call uh, for folks to try and bring that manufacturing legacy back to the United States, back to within our borders? I do, and, I, and, and the only thing that I think is going to stop that is, is really us and really our government officials. We have to make it easy, and, and, and some of those limitations and some of those restrictions have to be taken down because it puts us in an unfair disadvantage uh, over some other areas in the world. And I'm not saying I'm promoting that we should forget about the environment and things like that because that's not what I mean, but I think we need to get creative. We have to work together no matter what side of the aisle you're on and figure out how it becomes easier and easier to really insource from overseas because we all win. We all benefit if that happens. And, and you know, tax revenues go up, which in theory means the states and the, and the federal government should be able to, you know, build better roads and better infrastructure. Uh, at the same time, more and more people are getting employed. Unemployment is going down. Uh, you know, the rate and uh, it's, it's just everybody wins. And uh, it, there's been a reluctance to, to do that. And uh, I hope that changes. Well, Bruce, I think AIS is the perfect example of the fact that you can make manufacturing work um, here in the U.S. and here in Massachusetts. 800 local employees, a tremendous contributor to the region. Um, we've seen tremendous success out of you over the years. For those that want to find out more information on AIS, where can they go? Uh, AIS-inc.com. Our website's pretty interactive. It will also have all the links to social media, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, just you know, a couple other platforms as well. Uh, you can find a lot of information. And then from anybody listening locally, uh, we welcome uh, tours. We do tours every single day of our organization. And so if somebody wants to uh, you know, get in touch with me directly, I'll give you my cell. It's 978-302-3586. And uh, we welcome the opportunity to educate as many people as we can and as many businesses as we can on what we're doing and how we're helping the community. And I know that's going to uh, help, but at the same time, hopefully it leads to uh, office furniture sales as well. And I'll tell you, as soon as you walk into the building and you take that right and you go into that office setup that you have where folks can see some of the products that you carry, I think everybody gets a little bit of office envy. We all say, we want our office to look just like that. <laughs> well, that's the intent. Uh, you know, when we bring people in, our prospective customers, uh, every time somebody leaves, they go, wow, we heard some good things about you guys, but we had no idea this was going on in Massachusetts and in, in Central Mass, uh, and it's great. And, you know, what's it going to take to have our offices look like that? And is it going to make my employees more efficient, uh, maybe help me recruit people because it's a pleasant work environment? And those are the things we specialize in and, and, and really sit and, and work hard to, to educate people. And for those just joining us, we've been chatting with Bruce Plasman, CEO and co-founder of AIS over in Lemonster. Bruce, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thanks for having me. And uh, like I said, I welcome uh, the opportunity to talk to anybody that's listening. You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes on Podbean, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com.